So with all of that said, um, and the ministries are listed there in the service and the bulletin, um, we, we're going to get into the scriptures in just a second. Uh, I'm going to invite you to join me to pray, and then we're going to hit the third uh, week of uh, some stuff from the junk drawer. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, as we once again come together, Lord, we pray that you would, um, you would be glorified in our midst uh, as we look to your word, help us to uh, see it clearly, and, um, and Lord, that we would walk in your way and rise to the occasion of, of honoring you in the presence of a world that is, uh, if we're being honest, very afraid uh, of a very real danger uh, for many. Lord, that we, we might be wise uh, as serpents and gentle as doves, as you called your disciples to be. Uh, Lord, as we go to your word now, help us to see you in the written word, see the living word, so that we might follow him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, uh, we have so far we have covered the issue, the topic of equality, um, biblical equality. We have covered the book of Ezekiel, which I was told this week got nine out of five stars. Um, and, and today... We're going to, that's, that's a little math joke, um, a very little one. Uh, so, so today we're going to be addressing uh, the book of Proverbs. Uh, and I was asked specifically about Proverbs 11 through 14. Um, and obviously I'm not going to teach through Proverbs 11 through 14. But I thought that what we would do is look at the book of Proverbs because... Um, the book of Proverbs is one of those, if Ezekiel is one of those books that is uh, misunderstood because nobody can understand it, Proverbs is one of those books that is misunderstood because people think they can understand it. Um, and people are told that Proverbs, and Proverbs is easy to put on postcards and, and, uh, and verse, you know, little verse sheets. You can memorize a verse from Proverbs. I mean, one of the first verses I memorized from the Bible uh, was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? And, uh, you know, um, which I can't recite now because it was 40 years ago. Um, and I have a terrible memory for reciting things. But, you know, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths, that one. Um, and uh, Proverbs is one of those books of the Bible, though, that understanding its context means that you read it a little bit differently than you would without the context. So I want to talk about the book of Proverbs, and then we're going to grab three uh, sample Proverbs from chapters 11, 12, and 13 uh, to discuss how, um, how Proverbs, how we can read the Proverbs and how we can interpret them. Um, so first thing I want, to, I want to point out to you, and there's going to be a little bit of, of background information just so you understand. Uh, uh, what a, a proverb is, um, a piece of wisdom... It's just a short piece of wisdom, a pithy saying, um, and it's, it's this idea of uh, something short that, that contains a great truth, um, you know, and uh, we mock the idea of proverbial wisdom. Uh, I still remember The Simpsons very early on in The Simpsons when I was still watching the show, which means when I was in probably junior high, because it's been on forever, um, there's a moment where somebody asks Bart, what is the sound of one hand clapping? And he goes... Right? And, and he makes a noise. Uh, we, we tend to mock proverbial wisdom, you know, karate kid, you know, how'd you get your black belt? Or why do you, how do, where, why do you wear a belt? And he said, why do you wear a black belt? He says, to keep my pants up. The, 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 um, you know, we, we, proverbial wisdom is this idea, sometimes it's like, oh, this little succinct thing, it gets made fun of, but then people also anchor onto it. 
And this is one of those things that has existed in human culture for like all of written history. Um, there are uh, collections of proverbs in the Assyrian library of Ashurbanipal. There are uh, collections in Hattusha, which is the capital of the Hittite Empire. Um, there are Akkadian uh, uh, proverb collections. There are Sumerian proverb collections, one of the first written languages uh, known to the world. There are Egyptian proverb collections. There, there. It seems like as soon as human beings needed, it, it, basically as soon as human beings had grandparents, proverbs started to exist, um, and and people started to put these together. Um, and the Book of Proverbs in the Bible is particularly the Proverbs of Solomon. Um, now, there are, there are basically, there are five sections to Proverbs. There are the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king in, in Israel. Then there are the Proverbs of Solomon. And then there are Proverbs of Solomon collected by the men of Hezekiah. I know those sound like they should be one section. Um, and then there are two little ones at the end, 30 and 31, that, have, uh, that are identified with different names. And no, everybody debates over who it was and why it was written and where it went and all that stuff. We're not going to get into those. Um, but what happens with Proverbs is that they obviously get collected. Um, because nobody wants to read a book with one sentence in it. Um, they get collected. And the, the mentality, I think sometimes when we look at a book like Proverbs, we tend to look at it like one of those books that was written, um, you know, I can't remember what they're called. I call them toilet books. The books are like 500 facts about this, 1,000 facts about this. You know, and, and everybody has one in their bathroom, you know, to keep you, keep you busy, I guess. I don't know. Um, but they, that's not what this is, all right? So uh, let's talk about what a proverb is. Number one, and this is super important, when we read Proverbs, we have to understand that a proverb is a contextual truth. It's not a universal truth. So in other words, proverbs don't apply to every situation, um, in fact, the vast majority of ancient Proverbs, like the book of Proverbs, the vast majority of them are legal directions. Um, when you read in the Bible things like, you read in Proverbs things like a wise man does not speak, you know, a fool runs at the mouth, those kind of Proverbs, think of that in a legal context. Don't just think of it in an average context, but think of it in a legal context. The guy that just keeps yapping, 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 yapping um, in front of the judge is he more likely to get a judgment in his case? Is he more likely to say things that contradict? Is he more likely to say things that are going to blow his case if he just keeps talking? Um, and, and so it's kind of common sense stuff. Um, a lot of them are legal directions. Um, but Proverbs are viewed as divine wisdom specifically given to a ruler or a king. Now, this is an important thing we need to understand about the book of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs is not written for the average person. This is a compilation of Proverbs from the king speaking to the, in this case, his, his audience in Proverbs is his son. But really, that, that it, it's a, an evoking of this is what you say in these situations. This is how you deal with this. Um, and throughout history, when you encounter a, a tablet of, of of Proverbs, they will be Proverbs of such and such a God given to such and such a king. And what we have in, the, in this book, the Old Testament book of Proverbs, is the Proverbs of Yahweh, the God of Israel, given to Solomon, the wisest of the kings uh, of Israel. 
and they are kind of an encapsulation of how to uh, do justice, how to love mercy, how to, how to be a king. Now, if you know anything about the story of Solomon, you know that his wisdom was renowned. Um, there are several anecdotes about him dealing with, um, dealing with difficult situations. Um, and so his wisdom is of great value because it is the one God speaking to the great king for the, the covenant people of God. So that's where Proverbs comes from. But don't think that when Proverbs was being written... The original authors, the original scribes of the sections of Proverbs were going, man, this is going to be a bestseller. Everybody's going to love this stuff. This was written for the kings. It was written for to be a simple, and basically it was the reference material. It was the, the king is listening to a case, and somebody might be, uh, you know, might be going off talking about something, and he gives them a little piece of wisdom. He says, let's get back. Let's focus, and here's my judgment. Um, second thing about Proverbs is that they are common sense, not theology. Now, hopefully, common sense is guided. Your common sense is guided by theology. But common sense is not necessarily theological. Sometimes common sense is just common. Now, I've seen this attributed to a lot of different people. I assume it's been said over history that if common sense were so common, people would not be so stupid. Um, but but the, the reality is that common sense is common sense. And, and it should be things that just make sense. All right? So it doesn't have to be theological. It doesn't have to be um, founded on anything more than observed common sense. All right? um, the third thing is that these are, and this is probably the hardest bit of this, is that they are written for communal relationships, not for individual enrichment. Most of the time when we read Proverbs, we read it as if it's about us. Right? You read a proverb and it says something about a fool and a wise man. You go, oh, I want to be a wise man. But what is a wise man? A wise man is a man who understands his place in the relationships, in the community, and, and lives in such a way that he enriches the community rather than enriching um, himself. It, so when we read them, we have to read them in the context of a community, in the context of relationships. When we read about the Proverbs 31 woman, and so often the Proverbs 31 woman gets written about and it's described as, as empowering a woman and all this stuff. And, and it's important that when we read Proverbs 31, it is, it is about her relationship with her husband, with her children, with her community. It, it's not just that this is a, a strong woman, but that this is a strong woman who is a part of these rich relationships, and she enriches them with her presence. Um, so there's more to it than just individual advice. Um, when I was a kid, uh, my dad's best friend, Pastor Joe Thompson, pastored a church in eastern Pennsylvania. It was across the river from the church my dad pastored in. They went to Bible college together. Uh, Joe was, and I've mentioned Joe, he was a Tennessee hillbilly, hillbilly, hillbilly. Um, and uh, he had a number of, of kids. Uh, it was a, we, we liked hanging out with them because if one of the kids wasn't available, there was always another one close to your age, and you could just, you could just shift around. Um, but Pastor Joe had a Christian school, and uh, my first memory of visiting Pastor Joe's Christian school with my dad was Pastor Joe teaching on Proverbs when I was maybe five or six years old. My last memory of going to chapel at Pastor Joe's church, school, I didn't go to the school, but my last memory was when I was probably 12 or 13, and Pastor Joe was teaching on Proverbs. 
he had not stopped. He had been teaching on that book the enti- my entire childhood. There's an awful lot in Proverbs, but you've got to remember that it is individual advice. All right? So it's contextual rather than universal. There are some universal truths in Proverbs, but the way that you test a universal truth, when you're reading the Bible and you read something and you go, is this a universal truth? Can this be applied everywhere else? The, answer, the question should always be answered with this single inquiry. inquiry. Is it repeated somewhere else in Scripture? If it is repeated somewhere else in Scripture, then you get a good chance that that's confirmed as a piece of wisdom. But if it's not repeated, then it's contextual. You have to deal with it only in its immediate context. And you have to appreciate that this is functioning within this common sense rather than theology thing. Um, Anyway... So let's take a look, with all of that said, let's take a look at, I want to take a look very briefly at three Proverbs. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in any particular one, um, but they are Proverbs that, uh, that when we read them, if we understand them in context, they might say something a little bit different. The first one we're going to look at is Proverbs 11 uh, and verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Um, <clears throat> If ever there was a verse that should be slapped on like a Christian version of Weight Watchers, this is, this is the one. All right, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, when we read that, um, if we understand about the context, we understand that often a judge or a ruler would be adjudicating between people that were involved in commerce. There, there was um, somebody... somebody Shortchange someone, or or someone uh, had a, a a bad price, and they were, and so they come and they argue, and they say, well, you know, I brought a hundred ephahs of wheat, um, and I I was promised this daughter and given a dip. No, um, I I I was, you know, there was supposed to be this amount of gold per ephah, but when we weighed it, I weighed it at home, and then I brought it to the, the, to the to the marketplace, and he weighed it, and he gave me a different weight, and he gave less money than I thought. I was entitled to. And one of the things that almost every ancient society in the ancient world had was they had somebody whose job was to make sure that the weights being used in the balances were true. That they, that they actually represented the weights that they were supposed to be used. Now we still have a residual component of this um, in most uh, monetary systems in the world. Uh, what is the English currency called? A pound. All right. Why? All right. Well, you can talk about it. Pound sterling. That's what it is. It's a pound. All right. It is a certain. Me- now, it's not based on money anymore. Um, but it was a, a pati- It's not. Mas- it is based on money. It's just not based on precious metals. Um, it is still money, sorta. Um, but the. But you would have. You would have a certain amount of gold was a. You know, a pound of sterling silver. That was what that bill was worth. You could take that bill to a bank, to the Bank of England, and you could say, I want a pound of sterling, and they would give you a pound of sterling, or a coin would be made of that metal. I used to have, I worked at KB Toys in the 90s when I was in college, and somebody paid me with a, um, a, an actual um, uh, certificate that could be, it said on the certificate, I don't think they realized they'd given it to us, it said, can be exchanged for lawful money. Now, this, so it was dated like 1942, 1943, something like that. It was a $20 bill. What that meant was that piece of paper 
you could go to the to the bank and say, I want this amount of gold in return, and they had to give it to you in gold or silver. Today, if you do that with a $20 bill, they have to bring it out in like like tweezers, you know. Um, but but back then, when they were when when there was lawful money, there was gold that you could exchange it for. Well, so a balance, all right? A, a balance was used at, as a stand-in. They didn't have currency at these days, so you brought this amount of grain, and I gave you this amount of gold or this amount of silver in return. Uh, that was how it worked. If you brought if if the the um, if the the purchaser, the merchant, wanted to shortchange you, then what he would do is he would he would change the weight of the balance. He would maybe bore out a hole or he would paint something that make it look like it was iron but it was really a lighter metal or he would shave pieces off the inside of weights. And so in every ancient society, there was a, a, an appointed person whose job was to check those scales to make sure that they exist. And we still have that today. I mean, anytime you go to a, a gas station, you will see a little sticker that says that they checked it and made sure that you're actually paying for the gas that you're supposedly paying for. Um, you know, there are a few gas stations I still have questions about. I'm like, that gas seemed to be 60% water. You know, um, you know there are still... Still issues, but that's what that was. So why then is a false balance an abomination to the Lord, and a just weight His delight? Well, because a false balance is a lie. It's self-centered. In fact, if you read the next couple of verses, you'll see when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Uh, the next verse, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You see how they're, they're kind of tied to that verse. This idea that somebody that would use a false balance, somebody that would try to rip off a, 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 a person, another person, that person, they're doing it to enrich themselves, and their wickedness is not going to pay off. It's a temporary thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a false weight. It's a false balance. But somebody who is honest, somebody who brings a just weight, and the, and the word there is actually an intact weight, that the weight that they bring is what they say it is. Um, that person is a righteous person. And in Proverbs, the word righteous generally means fair. It doesn't mean like righteous before God as much as it means fair and honest. All right? Um, and the idea of a scale, a balance that is uh, that is just, is a righteous act. So when we read that verse and we understand it in context, we can then extract a principle from it that talks about uh, our honesty, our integrity. We can draw a principle out of it. But this is not a command for to God from God to our people to go around checking everybody's balances and and scales. Right? And, and you could be hyper-literal about this and say, well, the scriptures say that a just weight is his delight. So I want everybody to bring in their bathroom scales. I want to make sure you're not lying about your weight. All right? That is not what the Bible is talking about. The Bible is talking, the scriptures are teaching a proverb. And so you have this statement that probably Solomon uttered in the midst of a judgment. But it's not original to him. Because they're dealing with balances all the time. This culture is always dealing with these scales. But he probably was 
in judgment, and the merchant was brought before him. They measured the scale, and Solomon said, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. And he didn't say that. He said it in Hebrew, but you get, you get the idea, a just weight. All right? And so he's passing judgment on a particular context, and then we can draw out of that the community relationship of honesty and integrity we can extract from that. Um, let's take a look at another one. Chapter 12 and verse 7. The wicked are overthrown, the wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. A man is commended according to his good sense, but one of his twisted one of twisted mind is despised. Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who falls, follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the, righteous of the root of the righteous bears fruit. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. From the fruit of his mouth a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. But the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice." Now, if you read that right up front, you go, okay, this seems pretty straightforward wisdom. This is just talking about folly and wisdom and, and, and all that. But there's also, there's more going on in this um, in the sense of uh, a, a, a dispute that a judge might hear about an agricultural matter. All right. Now, one of the things that is true about Israel, what happened in Israel was that every piece of land in Israel was parsed out to tribes and then clans and then families. And, and the whole, in, under the law, the whole thing was you couldn't, you couldn't sell your land to somebody unless they were willing to sell it back to you. Um, and so what would happen a lot of times is rather than selling the land, um, you would lease the land you would like lease the land out to somebody for them to use and they would pay you back. Um, but there were all kinds of rules and laws about about how you could accrue you couldn't charge interest and there's there's all these things that are going on. And so what we have here we have a we have a bit of wisdom here about actually um, how you live. Right, how you work in part of this agricultural relationship. When he says it's better to be lowly, verse 9, and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. Right? It's, it's better, it's, it's better to, um, to not aggrandize yourself, not to push yourself beyond the limits of your ability or your land's ability all right, um, than to pretend you're something that you are and not have anything. So in other words, it's better to have one servant and be able to eat than it is to have a bunch of servants and have no food. All right? In other words, it is better to, oh, I don't know, only spend the money that you have rather than spend money that you hope to have at one day um, and then not be able to afford the, the necessities of life. Um, he talks about the life of a beast. He talks about the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Um, <clears throat> he talks about working the land and having plenty of bread, right? He who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. He says, you have a piece of land, you're going to work that land. Are you going to work that land 
put in the effort and have a profit from it, or are you just going to dither away your life um, and then uh, discover that you are going to starve? And when we read these lines, again, we have to read them as judgments in a, in a particular context. So what happens here? Uh, if, you, if you read between the lines, you have situations where people are coming and saying, well, you know, I didn't work the land, but I still deserve to eat, and so I took something from my neighbor because I, I have a right to that thing. I have a right to live. Don't I have a right to eat? And if he has more than he needs and I have less than I want, then don't I have the right to take from him? And the, the response is, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. So we have constantly, we have this situation where if you look at it first in an immediate context, and you ask the question, why does this proverb exist? And put that in practical terms, not just that this is an idea or a principle or was a random, it's not like, I mean, I think when I was a kid, I think I, I envisioned Solomon just sitting at a table going... Ooh, that's a good one, you know. These, these exist in context, all right? And they exist in context, and they're kind of loosely connected to one another. Um, and so when we look at these, we can kind of start to unpack them out. I'm going to look at one more. Um, and I, I, it, tie, it ties in, which is in 13, verse uh, 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on itself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. So now I'm, I'm, I'm just jumping around because they are, there are kind of these little self uh, encapsulated pieces of wisdom. But look at that. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Um, and again, you have this situation where you have a, you have a, a, a situation, a, a case, a legal scenario. If you put it in a legal scenario, it, it starts to make a little bit of sense. But I want you to look at it in a communal environment as well. If somebody gains wealth hastily, what is happening to others that are in relationship with him? Where does the wealth come from? It comes from the other people. All right? It comes from others. It has to. Money doesn't, despite, despite what the Federal Reserve Board believes, money does not just appear when you add a zero on a computer screen. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Uh, in 1997, I was in I was in Greece, um, right? Be, it, this was before the euro, right? Um, and I, we landed in Greece, and Greece had well, Greece has never been a financially sound country ever, right? And when we got there, they had just dropped three zeros off their currency. Just, I, I'm not kidding. They had they had, they went from a thousand drachma became one drachma. That was what they, they just issued new currency. All the old money was invalid and they dropped it. And we were still paying 500,000 drachma for a, a can of Coke. 
I mean, the inflation was unbelievable. It was outrageous. It was insane. You could get million drachma uh, uh, bills and stuff. Um, and 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 they they were just printing money. It was just making. Let's just make it work. It doesn't work that way. And and when somebody gets super super wealthy, all right, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, where does that money come from? It comes from other people. It has to. Right? There's a limited amount of resources. And so when we look at this, and he says, well, if you get hasty, look at this in terms of relationship. If you're suddenly growing wealth all of the sudden, right? if suddenly this money appears out of, of nowhere, if it appears fast, it's going to go away fast. I mean, wasn't that the whole point of the Great Depression? I mean, Black Tuesday? Black Tuesday? Yeah, it was Black Tuesday. Black Friday? No, Black Friday is after Thanksgiving. In the Black Tuesday, that that was the Great Depression. And if you understand what was happening, people were basically, they were betting on on future profits. They were using future profits to buy stocks in the present. Like they, they were fictionalizing money. All right, to make it make it happen, and when things started to tumble and there was a run on the banks, all of that disappeared. Um, and, and we've experienced that in our lives. Um, I mean, when we bought our house, the house the Hathcotes bought from us, and we bought our house, um, we we paid uh, when we bought it in 2005, which was the height of the market. We paid $216,000 for it. Um, by February of 2008, it was worth $145,000. Um, that market changes like because numbers are just numbers. And, and wealth accrued quickly, right? It will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. In other words, those who work for what they get, they value what they get. And they think about it. They, they consider it. And he says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a dream of life. This verse was used for dating when I was a teenager. I don't think it has anything to do with it. Um, it, it but <laughs> it's true. Um, so, but this idea, this idea, hope deferred. You know, you want again. You want you want this immediate. You want this immediate result. You want the money to come fast. He says, but he says, and it makes the heart sick. But give it time and let it grow like a tree. And it'll be more stable, it'll be more steady. Now, again, what's the context of this? Obviously, the king is passing judgment in a situation where somebody made money, all of a sudden made all this money, and now um, everybody's bringing complaints to him. Um, so, <clears throat> we're, and, I, and I'm jumping around, and there's a lot of different things going on here, but I want you to, when you read the book of Proverbs, and this is kind of the big idea, um, when you read the book of Proverbs, don't, don't just read it and go, oh, I understood that. Oh, that applied to me. Because that's usually the way that most people read Proverbs. I mean, you, you go, as my, my father-in-law calls it, Proverbs. Um, you, you, go, you, go to, you go to this book because it's an easy book to just leaf through until you find a piece of wisdom that seems to fit to your situation. All right? that, that's how people approach Proverbs. But the reality is Proverbs deals with very real context. And we have to extract from it principles rather than just ideas. Um, you know, and, and I'll just tell you, there, there are Proverbs, there are passages in Proverbs that contradict each other. 
Sometimes they're right next to each other. You'll read like, a fool opens his mouth, a wise man stays silent. And then it says, a wise man speaks because a fool is silent. And you're like, wait, what? All right, the, the, the reality is you have to read them. You've got to think about the ancient context. You've got to think about what problem was this written to address before I come to the Bible with a problem looking for it to address my issue. You can't come to wisdom literature looking for answers to your problems that override the reality of the problem that it was written to write to address. And so often people come to the Bible looking for an answer to a particular question. And if we're not careful, we ignore the questions it was written to answer. And so it's important that we, we really look at these. Now, you say, is there an index to Proverbs? No. The organization of Proverbs makes zero sense. The, the, it is, in fact, probably one of the hardest books in the Bible to translate because it is all over the place. Now, I'll tell you why it's all over the place. It's because it's a collection. It's not an original composition. Um, many of the Proverbs that are in the book of Proverbs are found in other collections that date from earlier than the book of Proverbs. Um, so, so, and not in Hebrew. Some of them are Hittite, some of them are Assyrian, some of them are Egyptian. Some of them, some of them derive from cultures that, that we may or may not know a whole lot about. Um, and so when they come into Hebrew and then they come into English, it's, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of words in Hebrew, in, in Proverbs that are used in ways they're not used in other books of the Bible. There, there's, there's a, it's difficult to translate. So <clears throat> when you come to Proverbs, you have to pause. You have to think. You have to contextualize as best you can what it is um, because it can be taken out of context. Um, it can be misunderstood. Now, having said that, one of the extraordinary things about Proverbs is that we have, and I'm going to use a very specific modifying word, we have the contextual wisdom of the Lord in a whole lot of issues. So when we understand them in context, we can hear the word of the Lord. All right? We just have to make sure that we're not mishearing what we want to hear, but hearing what he actually wrote and the context that he wrote it in. Um, it is rare. In fact, to my knowledge, there is no other ancient culture that allowed this kind of uh, royal proverbial collection to be passed on to the common people. All the other collections that are known are all found in royal libraries. They, they were not given to other people. They were, they were not to read them. They were, they, this was just for the king. Um, but as you know, our God does not have mediators except for Christ. And so his wisdom is available to all of us. And so we have a responsibility to understand it the way that it was written as best as we can. And we have a responsibility not to abuse it and to misunderstand it. Um, because... <clears throat> Good sense wins favor. That's in verse 13, uh, chapter 13. Um, good sense wins favor. A lot of Proverbs are just common sense. And that's probably the reason why the book is so popular. But we just have to make sure it's common sense for our particular situation. 
Um, so I don't really have like, there's not like a, like I said, this is this is the junk drawer. This series is stuff coming out of the junk drawer. So as you suggested things, I'm, I'm throwing them out there. Um, you may have gone, man, we went from Ezekiel to whatever that was. Um, but but we're, we're looking through this and just trying to understand a little bit better um, what the scriptures have to say and how we can read them, how we can read them. Somebody one time asked me, do you have a good commentary on Proverbs? I have commentaries on Proverbs. Um, I'm not sure how good they are. <laughs> um, but, but just if you read them with the understanding of the, their context, understand them with common sense, not theology, you know, they, 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 it's an incredibly valuable thing. Just make sure you're reading what you're actually reading and not what you want to read. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we, as we come to your word and we look to your word in all of its various forms, shapes, genres, um, Lord, we are, we are challenged to follow Christ in what we do and how we do it. May you be glorified in our midst. May your name be praised. Um, may we be your people in the midst of a world uh, that needs to hear from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My brothers and